All right, can you guys hear me? Happy Sunday morning, everybody. Uh, sorry, let me just do this. Happy Sunday morning. Hope everyone is well. We are starting a two-part series here at The Eight titled Prerequisite. When I hear the term prerequisite, I have a little bit of PTSD because I think of school as far as what are my prerequisites that I need to take. But let's jump into a quote. Here's something I know you know is true for you. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I hate it. I hate it for myself, and I know you hate it for yourself, that we tend to wake up when we have an issue, when we have pain. We pause and reassess how am I approaching this conflict? Maybe we question the existence of God altogether. But through the pain, it ends up being God's megaphone to wake us up. The pain, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And these are the words of C.S. Lewis. Rewind in history. St. Basil the Great, the one who put together our ancient liturgical prayers that we pray every Sunday. He said these words, troubles, troubles are usually the brooms and shovels that smooth the road to a good man's fortune. It's the pain that God uses as his megaphone. It's the troubles that ends up making sure for, for, us, to, 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 for us to find our fortune in God. I hate that that to be the case. I hate that's the formula, that it always takes pain, it always takes struggle for us to find our purpose, to find our identity, for us to have clarity on what's the purpose of this world. It's always the pain that God loves to use as a megaphone. I want us to put in our hands for us to embrace two aspects of life very clearly. There's pain in this world. Tremendous amount of pain. But there's also hope. And both have to be held together. Some versions of Christianity will dismiss the pain and struggles and say, just pray it away. You can turn the other way. Just focus on the prosperity aspect of life. And they'll try to dismiss that part to make us feel warm. With all respect to all traditions, but if we want to hold onto the most organic, fullest version of our pre-denominational pursuit of Jesus, then we hold together, almost in a paradox, that we understand the tremendous amount of pain and uncertainty and struggle that exists in this temporal world, but we also hold, hold in our other hand that there is hope. Not in a theoretical way of saying, yeah, we need to hold on to hope. It's not just a fluff. It's not just words. But it is personified. Why? Because there happens to be a tomb that is empty right now. Because death has been redefined. Life has been redefined. And this, to us, our worldview, the Christian ethic, the Christian worldview, is centered around that hope. But we have to hold both together at the same time without dismissing one or the other. Here's something you also get. There is a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. There is a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. Maybe we get this at a micro-personal level. 
We kind of get this at a micro-personal level. Let's say if I'm, if I'm selfish, and, and this has become toxic to my, to my thought process, becomes toxic to my marriage, there will eventually become suffering. Eventually, Sarah's going to be fed up of every, every motive, every conversation, everything I do is centered around me, 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 and what's best for me. Of course, it, it, science will show that it will eventually put a drift or a wedge in our marriage. And one of us will check out, if not both. That will eventually happen. We understand that there's a cause and effect relationship between sin, which even the etymology of sin is me missing the mark. Maybe we'll get to that later. Is me missing the mark. And if, if I'm so intoxicated by selfishness or something else that's drifting me away from how I'm intended to be, there is going to be a cause and effect relationship. Because of my sin, there will be suffering. Maybe we get this in the, in the, in the, the examples can be endless that exist. Maybe we can kind of get that at a personal level. There also exists, this, also, this is true, also at a macro world level. Because of the brokenness of humanity, because of sin coming into this world, through our, broke, through, through our own selfish motives, suffering came into this world. This is true at a personal level for you and me. There's a cause and effect. When we drift away and miss the mark by sinning, there's a cause and effect. I guarantee you. Maybe you don't see the effect right now, but I promise you. It will come and hit us both at some point in time if I don't see that. But it's also true at a macro level. We end up thinking like this. Oh, am I going through this struggle financially? Am I going through this struggle in my health? Am I going through this because this is happening to my kids or this is happening in my family because I did X, Y, Z when I was young? Or is, is this, we always love to think of a transactional approach to life. Is X occurring because I did Y a long time ago? We love to think that God is this transactional one-to-one -one cause and effect to how we approach life, and we reflect that on how God works in this world. Jesus walked into this world with this worldview being extremely prevalent in, 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 in the crowd, that they thought that, oh, if someone you know, is sick or has this issue, oh, it's probably because they did something wrong. Or, oh, you can't have a kid? That's probably because you did something wrong. This, is, this exists in today, and that thought creeps into our mind even till today. But Jesus walked into that prevalent, dominant mentality. But I want us to assess how did Jesus approach that mentality. What we're about to read right now is, is, an, is a dialogue that occurred, in a huge event that occurred, that a, the, an eyewitness named St. John ended up recording this, this tension that occurred between Jesus and the crowd of, over an event that Jesus did. And this caused a tremendous amount of, of talk around town, but this is recorded by a first eyewitness by St. John. He said these words. Uh, this is St. John documenting what happened. As he went along, Jesus, so as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Pause. Jesus, his team, his disciples, walking. Jesus sees a blind man. What did the disciples say? Hey, Jesus, come, come on. I mean, you're God. Tell us. What, what did this guy do? Or what did his parents do? I mean, there has to be a reason why he's blind. There's something he did, right? It's not like he's just born blind. Everything happens for a reason, right? So what's the reason? Did, some, did, he, did he do something wrong when he was young? Did he do something in college? Did, did his parents do something wrong? That's why it happened. Well, why? How did Jesus respond? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Their mentality was here at a 100-foot level. Oh, why did this happen? Did they do something? Tell us. Tell us, Jesus. And Jesus says, ah, oh, 
It's not that. You're viewing things at this level. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. His parents didn't do anything wrong. But this, this brokenness that exists in the world, the, the, I, we're not going to discuss the reasoning why there's brokenness. But, the reason, but, but, but through this brokenness, I will come to bring restoration. I am here to bring healing. I am here to bring life. Let that be your focal point. Jesus continued, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And they're probably hearing this like night, day. What are you talking about? It's like two o'clock. Why are you talking about night? Like I, I'm confused. And Jesus is trying to make a point. I am light. He's trying to wake them up. As them being Jewish, a Jewish crowd and Jewish men, when they hear the word I am, they know that Jesus is talking about the uncreated being, God himself. And Jesus makes it clear to them, I'm the light of the world. I'm here to bring healing. I'm here to bring life. Don't think at, at a transactional basis of how you think that the world runs, that the brokenness came or the, or the blindness of this man came because of something he did or his parents did or they did something wrong, and then, then God says, oh, you did something wrong? Okay, now I'm going to do something wrong to you. you this cancerous, toxic mentality is lethal to our life. Let us go back here to Christian, Christianity 101. In the Orthodox Church, there are numerous of titles to give to God. And most of them describe who he is not. One of my favorite titles to describe who God is, is describing him being the being. And this is something we pray. This is an ancient language that we continue to pray in our liturgical worship of calling God the being. The being. He is whole. He is I am. The being desired to create an environment, a world, a cosmos, a universe that reflects and samples the glory of who he is, of him being being. And he created not just one flower, he created millions of flowers with a tremendous amount of diversity. He didn't create one tree, but he created tons of trees that are all unique and diverse. And in the midst of this beautiful creation, he placed the epitome of all creation, one who is a divine reflection of who he is, a reflection, an icon of God himself built in his image and likeness, that God created the being, made man to reflect the being. We call ourselves human beings. Nothing wrong with that. But a philosophical, theological approach would say we're not necessarily human beings. We are human becomings, desiring to become like the being. And this intimate bond between the being and man was God's original intimate desire for there to be this ultimate intimate union between God and man that existed. But what do, how do I describe love? The epitome of, of, of the ethics of love. Embedded in this ethic of love is free will, is honor, is respect, is free will. So God said, Adam, Eve, I love you, but I'm not going to twist your arm. You're big people. You can do as you wish. We can have a great bond, a, a union together, as, as, a, as a tri-union, man, woman, and me. We can do this together, or you can drift away. This is your call. Out of my love and honor and respect for you, you can choose as you wish. 
Humanity decided, I got this, and something we all do every day. I got this, and no one gets me. No one understands. And, it's, it, it, and, and, and we drift away. We think we know what's best. From that came a, a barrier. Out of God's honor for us, he said, I have to, I, like, listen, I, I made this crystal clear. You understood exactly what I was saying. Here are the guidelines for us to invest in our relationship together. You decided to blew it. That's fine. But there has to be consequences out of my love for you. Parents, you put consequences to your kids, not because you're cruel. I don't think so. It's out of your love for them. So there is a barrier put between God and man. But from that second, from God's broken heart, he, designed, he hated to see humanity drift away from him. So from that moment, God decided to send prophets. God decided to send messengers. God decided to, desired to, 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 to restore humanity, to pull him back. So God would send prophets and kings and messengers and various type of people and leaders to try to restore humanity for, for them to have that intimate connection back with God. But God said, you know what? How can I deliver my message in a clear way that I, that I desire for them to know their purpose, for them to know their identity? It's better for me to roll up my sleeve and for me to put on flesh myself. This, my friends, is how God became man in order for man to become divine. That God rolled up his sleeve and came down. That God put on a bod to restore humanity. And our pursuit, our ethic, our worldview is centered around this imagery alone. That the being is, it decided to come to us to restore us in a most intimate, personal way in order for us to reunite and reconnect and reconcile with our Heavenly Father. That's Christianity 101. That it's not necessarily us trying to pursue an ethereal being, but no, it's not us climbing up a mountain. The person who is on top of the mountain came down to us. It's not theoretical. It's not just spiritual fluff. It's a reality. It is a person. The centrality of our worldview is based on the person of who Jesus is. I want to now to show you the paradox between pain and hope and how we have to embrace both. I never want any of us to fall into a trap of just holding on to hope and what makes us feel warm and fluffy and dismiss the pain and struggles that exist in our world. No matter what we do, we cannot pray it away. We cannot dismiss it away. It will be there. But how do we embrace the struggle to have both the paradox in front of us at all times? There will be struggles in this temporal world. Actually, Jesus guaranteed it. But how do we take that and hold on to hope at the same time? St. Paul, a missionary, said these words. For if by the trespass of the one man, by the trespass of Adam, death reigned through that one man, death the cause of his sin brought suffering into this world. Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? St. Paul brings it down. Everything we just said, he brought it down to one nutshell. If, 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 if brokenness came into the world through one man, how about the one who is the fullness of man, the one who is the God-man, for him to restore all that. If brokenness came through the selfishness, through the brokenness of one person and him drifting away from God, then the restoration can also come through one person. This is why Jesus is such a big deal. And he says, 
And the gift of righteousness, reign in life. If I asked you, do you want to reign in life? You would say, yeah. Who wouldn't want to reign in life? We do not reign in life. We do not reign in life by devoting our lives to preserving our lives. We feel I can reign in life by going on that next trip, by saving a little bit more, by that new car, by that new thing I can get my kids. We feel like we can reign in life by that promotion. We feel like we can reign in life by all these things that rotate around me and you. And we feel like we can reign in life in that way. The reality is we reign in life by following the one who offered the fullness of life. If we see the brokenness within us and we try to, to quench that, 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 that thirst, that pain by such a wide array of things that you and I try to do to, 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 to deal with that, that, that pain, with that struggle, instead of going to the one who is the fullness of life himself, we try everything possible to preserve my status, my image, my career, my financial status. We try to do everything possible to maintain that and run away from trying to come to the one who is the source of life. We reign in life by following the one who offered the fullness of life. As I mentioned, a first eyewitness of Jesus, St. John, young guy, was so overwhelmed of him experiencing the personal connection with Jesus by following him and documenting everything that he experienced in the life of Jesus, that as he began to articulate near the end of his life, near the end of John's life, all his friends were saying, hey, John, listen, I mean, you, you're, not, you're not looking that great anymore. Things are kind of going south for you health-wise. You have to document what you experienced with the life of Jesus before, you, before, before, we, before we lose you here. So John ended up documenting everything he did. And as he's pondering to find the words of his experience with his Savior, as he's trying to find the words to articulate what he experienced in Jesus, this is what he ended up writing in the first chapter of his gospel. The word. He can't, he's trying to even find the words, so he's, he's, he's leaning in toward Greek philosophy to find the words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, me, my, my, my friends, uh, us disciples, we, uh, tons of us, we saw, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And the most amazing thing about him who came to dwell in us, who came from the Father, he is the fullness of truth, and he's also the fullness of grace. St. Paul said these words. Of, I, I, what I want to, to show, I want to show evidence of how the first century Christians looked at pain and looked at hope at the same time. I do not want us to dismiss one or the other but how they embraced both and how they, they, they tied both in their pursuit of Jesus. St. Paul said these words. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, the one we're pursuing struggled just like we struggle. He struggled in every sense, just like we struggle. We have someone who can empathize with our weakness. How comforting is that? I don't know if you've ever been through a struggle. I know you have, but have you ever been through a struggle and you can connect with someone who is grieving like you, who is going through the same pain as you? This is why support groups are, are, are amazing. 
This is why Alcohol Anonymous or, or those struggling with, 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 with any uh, sex disorder, sexual disorder, with pornography, they find comfort in support groups. Why? If you can be with there, someone who can empathize with your weakness. This is, this is true at a spiritual and psychological level of how we are wired for this to work. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, the difference, he never missed the mark. He was never without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See how vulnerable St. Paul is saying? But we need that help in our time of need. We cannot just pretend like we, we got it all together and we have no need. St. Paul, so confident, type A personality. He says, I am in need. But let's come with boldness, with, with confidence to the one who is the definition of hope. Let us hold on to him in a real way, not theoretically. Not just to make us uplift us and feel optimistic after, after us coming together. No. Let us take our brokenness. Let us take our pain. The prerequisite, the prerequisite for us to embracing what resurrection is about, the prerequisite is for us to pursue life, is for us to know that pain will never go away. Struggle will never go away. But I can find life. I can overcome that. Our theme at San Mark Church for this year is overcome. We have the boldness. We have the confidence. It's embedded within us to overcome. But that can only be found in one person. St. Paul again. I consider, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He's casting a vision. He has his eyes set on the long term. He's like, man, this stinks. Like, this issue stinks. This pain stinks. Man, but this is nothing. This is nothing for what will come. I get it. I'm here just as, I'm just here as a tourist. I'm here for a little bit. I got a mission to accomplish. But, so, this stinks. There's no question about it. I cannot deny it. I cannot pray it away. This stinks. But I also have my eyes set on what will come. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He's talking about the macro level of how sin and suffering are connected, the cause and effect. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. He's desiring, he's groaning inside to be adopted as a child of God. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, what is this hope, St. Paul? This hope is, is the, the age to come. The hope is that I'm able to embrace the reality of the resurrected Christ now. This hope, because of this hope, we are saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. And then he asked this question for us to ponder. Who hopes for what they have already who hopes for what they already have? And I'm guilty of this as well. We hope, man, that next trip, that next vacation, that's gonna that I hope for that 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 will that will that will work. If we go on one like that if that, if I just get promoted, I hope for that. Do you hope for something you can just see to fix that that, that will be the fix? That would be that that would be the magic button to fix everything? What we hope for transcends what we are able to see visually. What we hope for is found in the person of Jesus.
What do you hope for? Who do you hope for? The prerequisite to embracing the reality of resurrection is for me to see that there is pain that can lead me to his resurrection. The prerequisite is to note that I cannot dismiss, deny, or just pray away my struggle. But how do I take that and align that to find the pursuit of hope and life in him? This icon. I want to go in this order. I want to, sh I want to share this icon. This is the original resurrection icon. And what I love about this ancient icon, the Greek title for this, uh, for this icon is um, Anastasis. This is the original ancient Christian uh, icon that reflects the reality of resurrection. Why I love this. It's not Jesus coming out of a tomb and a bunch of lights and angels. And it's not that. Why is this the original Easter icon? Because if you look closely, Jesus is holding the brokenness of humanity. Jesus is not coming kind of like, you know, holding like this. Jesus is not doing like this. What does he do? He grabs Adam and Eve. He grabs you and me by our wrist. Maybe sometimes we don't have enough strength within us. But we have a desire to find Jesus. We desire to find hope in him. But sometimes we don't even know where to begin. But if we come to him just like this, he will come, not just say, I got you. He will grab us, grab us by our wrist and pull us toward the resurrection. He is pulling Adam and Eve from darkness, from, from, from their grave, literally. And he's pulling them and is restoring them and embracing, for them to embrace resurrection. This is our journey, my friends, for the next 55 days. But it requires us to give of our arm. This is the prerequisite. This is the prerequisite. For us to lift our arms to him and let him grab us by our wrists. The art of our ancient church is not depicting Jesus holding them by their fingers. He's grabbing them by their wrist. It comes from him, but it requires us to acknowledge our pain, our death within us, if you will, our darkness within us, for him to lift us. This is the prerequisite to Christianity. Let me go back and end with a quote. C.S. Lewis said these words. If I find in myself a desire, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, if I try so hard to find something to, to satisfy that desire, being busy, that drink, that habit, that trip, if I try so hard to find that desire to satisfy if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I are made for another world. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. We are made for so much more. You and I are here for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. You have been equipped, you have been equipped with a certain personality, with certain gifts, for a mission. We have work to do on ourselves and to leave an, a legacy and an imprint in this world. 
but we're made for something so much more. Let's stand up and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we do not want Lent to come and go. We do not want this season of the fast to come and go. We do not want Holy Week to come and go. We do not want resurrection to come and go. We don't want it to just make it about food. Who cares about that? It requires our first, our prerequisite to embrace your resurrection. For us to embrace that, it requires us to give you of our life. It requires us to embrace our struggle, our insecurity, our pain, our anxiety. It requires us to come to you with that. From there, we know that you will grab us and lift us into your resurrection and for us to be made whole. Lord, I pray that we can have our eyes on that, that that can be our pursuit. We try to find satisfaction in every other desire and just for us to be busy all the time, but we can only find life by being still in you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm sorry, can you guys have a seat for one minute? Oh, it's not there. Okay. That's okay. As I prayed and I said in liturgy, I don't want Lent to come and go for myself, and I don't want Lent to come and go for you. I am asking you to cheer me on, and I'm here to cheer you on. I want us to do a 49-day Bible challenge together. 49 days. And what is required of you? Four to six minutes a day. Four to six minutes a day is for you to connect with your pain with your struggle, with your anxiety, with your Heavenly Father. Connect the pain with who is hope for a quiet time, for four to six minutes a day. If you already have a great, beautiful routine, quiet time with God, continue. I want to now encourage you to add one more thing, to add this Bible plan. Sorry, I thought the slide was going to be on the PowerPoint. If you go to this, the church website, sammarkatl.church, you will see on the top link, you can do it now as you wish or at home, but the most important thing is you understand why I'm making a big deal about this. If you go to sanmarkatl.church, you will see on the top a link that says to, to do the Bible plan with me. And this is a personal link from, from my Bible app account and, in which I will be able to see your progress and you'll be able to see my progress. Are there days where I'm probably going to miss? I'll be honest. Maybe. Probably. But if we push each other, to get through this plan together, to go through this journey of the fast together. I promise you, this Holy Week, this resurrection, this fast doesn't have to be like the other years. It can be different. It doesn't have to come and go. That who you are now can be very different than who you are in May. I promise you. 
but it requires us to do it together as a church family. So whenever you get a chance, if you are fasting or wanting to fast from screens, which I admire you tremendously, if you want to fast and minimize screen time for yourself, I'm going to email the church family tomorrow morning um, a PDF of the Bible plan. If you prefer to print that out yourself, you can do that. If you want to read on a physical Bible, I would encourage you then to print the PDF or follow along in the PDF as well. It's going to be one Bible passage and then ancient faith commentary to the passage that you're reading. So th that's the Bible plan. It is the only Orthodox Bible plan, actually, that exists in the Bible app. So uh, I would encourage you to do this with me. Okay? Have a great week, and I'll see you guys next week.